Pastor Kurt's on vacation, even though he's sitting in the third row, and I will call on him frequently. Um, but we are going to continue um, the study in Amos, so if you'll turn with me to Amos chapter 7. Um, and let me open our time together this morning in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for how you um, show yourself uh, to your people, how you uh, reveal yourself in the beauties of your creation, even as we enjoy a beautiful uh, Sabbath morning after a long winter. Um, spring uh, is starting to show itself, and that is a sign of your faithfulness, that uh, you bring uh, life and light out of death and darkness. But even more than how you reveal yourself in your creation, uh, we thank you for how you've uh, shown us yourself through your word. And uh, we thank you for the prophet Amos, uh, who you called, who um, you sent um, to a kingdom that wasn't his own, um, but who uh, a kingdom that was part of your people. Um, and that you used him to speak your truth to people who didn't want to hear it. And as we'll see this morning, uh, they hated and accused Amos for the things that you told him to say. And even as Christ uh, has uh, told us that the world will hate us because it hates uh, you, Lord God. And so we pray that you, you would um, use these words uh, from Amos to help us uh, see the world through your eyes, um, see it reflected in you, uh, so that we can see it rightly and see where it uh, stands um, in looming judgment, if not for your grace and your mercy. And so we pray, Lord God, that you would be merciful uh, to your people and that you would show your grace and your goodness even as you uh, proclaim uh, judgment upon the sins of man. Teach us this morning. Uh, give us uh, your spirit to guide us into all truth. Um, guide our thoughts. Help us to uh, think the way uh, that you think. And uh, show us our own uh, sinfulness. And uh, show us how we too can speak uh, your prophetic word. Uh, to uh, the world around us, even when it doesn't want to hear. Uh, give us that kind of spirit of truth and power, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, let me uh, read for us. Uh, so Amos chapter 7. Um, and this is starting a, a new section of the book of Amos as we run um, these last uh, three chapters um, You'll, you'll notice that um, if, if, we've, if Amos has been preparing us for a coming end of destruction, um, we're culminating in these last three chapters. We're, we're, we're getting closer and closer to that ultimate moment of destruction. So here now, um, God's word from Amos chapter 7. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locust when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowing. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O oh Lord God, please forgive 
How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from this away from his land. And Amaziah said to me, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, eat bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Uh, may he bless it uh, in our hearts and minds this morning. So have you ever been in the middle of a, someone else's argument? Has that ever happened to you? I always think of when I was little, I had a big family, lots of older brothers and sisters, and when they were teenagers and they'd get in a fight with one another, I became the go-between. Can you go tell Margaret? So I go tell Margaret, whatever it was, and then Margaret, well, go tell Doug. <laughs> and who ends up in tears at the end of this? Me. <laughs> it's an uncomfortable position to be in between two disputants. Um, and Amos 7 gives us a great picture of the prophet's experience. Often we get prophet's words, but we, it's only occasionally that we get a glimpse of what it's like to be a prophet. And the prophet lives in that tense middle between God's dispute with his sinful people. Um, the Jewish scholar Abraham Heschel succinctly captured this aspect of the prophet's lived reality, saying, 
The prophet is not only a censurer and accuser, but also a defender and consoler. Indeed, the attitude he takes to the tension that obtains between God and people is characterized by a dichotomy. In the presence of God, he takes the part of the people. In the presence of the people, he takes the part of God. So in verses 1 through 9 of Amos 7, we see the prophet in God's presence. And he's taking the part of the people as he pleads and prays for mercy. The prophet, however, Heschel goes on to note, is not a third party. Um, He's not a mediator um, who's offering some independent viewpoint on the dispute. The prophet is firmly God's man, having been given God's viewpoint and sees the world as reflected in God. He pleads for the people, knowing that God's anger and judgment are righteous. And then in verses 10 through 17, we see Amos in the presence of the people. And there we see him being accused, and and literally accused of uh, treason, a treasonous conspiracy against the king and against the northern kingdom. Um, And why is he accused of this? For having spoken God's truth. Um, So in in the presence of the people, We see Amos there taking God's part, um, and he can't be silent because God has called him to speak, and thus God's words he must proclaim as harsh and as bitter as those words sound to his audience. Um, So let's, uh, this is kind of how the the passage divides itself, so we'll take it in these two parts. So first, let's look at um, chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, Amos in the presence of God. And notice it's a very different kind of prophetic experience here. Um, God is showing him things. We've seen lots of thus saith the Lord's in the book of Amos so far. This is, he's, 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 God is showing him visions. Um, and we see this conversation between Amos and God concerning these things that God has shown to Amos. So um, as we look at verses 1 through 9 and this conversation between Amos and God, uh, what strikes you about what God is showing Amos um, and how they're talking about these, these visions? Yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, so in these first two visions, God shows Amos something. So we have a pattern, behold. So, you know, each vision starts with this behold. And God shows Amos a picture. And with the first two, God shows Amos something, and then Amos responds with this plea on God's mercy, and then we see God um, relenting and, and declaring, and then God's speech comes after is the last thing in each of the first two visions, and, and saying this, this will not be. And the, the not there is really a severe not. It, you know, maybe a, a more literal transla- translation would be, this will never, never be. Um, it's a double negative in the Hebrew. 
So with the first two, it's vision, Amos speaks, and then God speaks back to Amos. Um, in the third one, the pattern is vision, and then God speaks to Amos and asks Amos a question, you know, tell me what you see. Um, and, um, and then God, you know, gives a declaration. So as you say, there is no prayer in the third one. Um, and, and so this third one, the judgment, whereas the first two, never, never, or is that going to happen? Never, never, is this going to happen? But the third one, so, um, so there's a pattern, but then the third one breaks the pattern. Good. Yeah, in, in this, the last three chapters, um, the, the phrase, the Lord God, which, you know, um, it, it's emphasizing his, the, the Lord, the Almighty, like his sovereignty, is, that's going to be the main reference to God in the, these last three chapters. Like it, it's like it happens, that title of God or that name of God appears three times more than it does in the first six chapters. So in a much more condensed space, he's referring. So he's emphasizing God's sovereign power. And as you say, Tim, the specificity um, that of these visions. Like, it's not just showing, like, uh, a, a, some locust coming into a field. Like, notice how precise it is. He was forming locust when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. Like, you know, the detail there. Um, it's, and behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings, and this is the only reference to the king's mowings, but um, uh, most people think it's, it's basically a form of taxation. So the king comes in and, and takes his cut first. <laughs> and then, so this is the, the, the tender growth that comes afterwards. Um, so there's not going to be another one after this one. Like, this is their chance. And so for the locust to come at that moment would be enormously devastating. So the specificity, like, um, this, this would be a, a picture of complete and utter um, uh, poverty and famine coming as the result if locusts struck at this precise moment. And, and as you say, God's power, it's he was forming. So he's the one who, it's not just, oh, a plague of locusts. No, he's causing this plague of locusts to arise at this precise moment. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I get pretty weirded out by bugs. <laughs> Um, well, we can talk about that, um, but I, I, I would say the first one, it's, a, again, it's, it's like complete, the locust consuming everything. So yeah, you'd be in the own, your own land, but you're, you're going to die there. Like, it's like, they're not going to leave anything behind for you to, you know, 
anything there to, and again, I get weirded out by those kind of things, but um, uh, I can't remember, was, was it a Little House on the Prairie episode that like depicted, a, that, like that one freaked me out so bad. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so, um, and the last one, again, we can, we can think about what's different about the last one. The first two, the image seems to be, or the vision seems to be all-consuming. It's all-consuming locusts. It's all-consuming fire. The third one, it's measured. You know, there's that plumb line idea. Like, it, it's, it's not complete and utter destruction of the people. But the third one, even though it seems awful to be, you know, for the king to be in, to exile, the temple to be destroyed, um, it's measured judgment. And, and there will be a remnant. Whereas the first two seems to be like, you know, fire consuming everything, even the water. Um, uh, that's pretty all-consuming. Nobody's going to survive that. Um, but with exile, there, God preserves a remnant. Like, and he uses that ultimately for the people's good. So it's measured judgment, and it's judgment keeping that covenant promise at the same time. Um, like a similar picture would be like um, in a similar kind of prophetic response to God saying he's going to do something. It would be like um, after the golden calf and, and God says to Moses, I'm going to just wipe these people out and start over with you. And Moses you know, pleads on behalf of the people um, and, and, and God, in similar language, relents um, and still punishes Israel, but does so in a measured rather than a total fashion. Because, again, God's perfect judgment is, is tied together with his covenant, perfect covenant love for his people. So those two things always go together. Yeah, and, and notice, like, even though he's, he's begging them, he's not disputing whether Israel deserves to be destroyed. Like, and these prophecies of, of, of um, locust, that's in Deuteronomy. Like, this is what God has said is going to happen to his people. So it's, um, God has said, you do this, I'm going to destroy you with locusts. Um, similarly with the fire. You know, God's anger in Deuteronomy is described as an unquenchable fire. Like you, and, and um, the northern tribe has raised God's anger and it, they rightly deserve to be completely destroyed by fire. Um, and with these, both the first two, you know, the, this, again, like in the dispute, God is, you know, he, uh, Amos is clearly seeing God's, power and rightness in bringing and executing this judgment. So he's not like saying, 
oh, this is too harsh, or they don't deserve this. He's just simply pleading for mercy. <laughs> um, and, and so the third one, so I, I don't want to set up like Amos is saying, oh, God, you're being too harsh, back down. That's, he's just pleading for mercy. Like he, and he's adopting God's view of Israel that they're small. Um, he's not adopting, like as Matthew showed us last week, um, you know, the, Israel's view of itself is we're the first of the nations. Like, we're great. Um, and Amos is not coming to God with that perspective at all. He's, they're small, and they're helpless apart from you. Have mercy. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think it's that dis distinction between the first two images. Israel deserves to be totally wiped out according to God's law, but God is punishing specifically because of these sins. And it is the original sin of the northern kingdom to, to not just, you know, Jeroboam's rebellion, but that the first thing he did was turn around and set up um, a, you know, the, this image and in Bethel and proclaim, Hero Israel, here's your God, like in a very similar way. I mean, it's the golden calf incident all over again. Um, and and just like we see in response to that first golden calf, you know, God is would be completely right in eradicating this people. But instead, God purges them of the evil in their midst. And so it's it's rather than um, a death blow, it's more the, you know, to go back to Thames, it's the precision of the scalpel, um, God removing the evil from the, the, the midst of this northern kingdom. Um, and, and, and this one, like, again, it, the conversation, like, uh, you know, he shows him the vision, and then Amos, you know, ask Amos that question, Amos, what do you see? And then Amos, you know, you know, responds a plumb like he he engages Amos in that conversation to 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 you know the focus is on that measuring line um, the precision. Um, once I was uh, and uh, we don't use plumb lines 
as much as we used to because we've got levels, so it's laser levels now, like isn't that cool? Um, but uh, once I was on a mission trip in, in Mexico and we were in some remote village and we were building a church and, you know, I'd never built a brick wall in my life. I have no idea what I was doing, but, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to, but every now and then, um, you know, my boss would come by. I didn't speak any Spanish. He didn't speak any English, but he could communicate perfectly well by reaching into his pocket, pulling out that little plumb line, <laughs> dropping it, and shaking his head. <laughs> Off come those bricks. Let's try this again. Um, you know, and it's the, the precision. You know, the plumb line represents the, the precision and the, the rightness with which it's being executed. Like, it's being executed rightly. And notice in the, like, the, the, if we were, you know, again, I divided chapter seven in two parts. Part one ends with a plumb line. Um, part two ends with a plumb line. Um, so, you know, the plumb line is an important part tying these two vision or two halves of the chapter, these two prophecies together. And again, emphasizing the rightness, the accuracy, the measured judgment of God on the high places, on the king himself. These things are abominations before God, and, and he's going to punish the northern kingdom for, for its sinfulness, for its continuing in these high places, even though they see themselves, as um, Pastor Kerr is kind of, they see themselves as, um, you know, faithful and religious, you know, we're religious, and, and we go to the temple we've made, and, and, like, they think they're doing the right things, and God abhors their, um, their spirituality, um, because, as we've seen, they haven't done the right things, and these places that they're worshiping, these high places, they aren't the rightful means that God has established. He established one temple in Jerusalem, and so, they were wrong to set up a temple in Bethel, and God is going to punish them for it. Yeah, Bill. Um, again, it goes back to Jeroboam. So when the northern kingdom splits off, Jeroboam is like, we can't have people going back to Jerusalem to worship. You know, we can't, I mean, it'd be like if the, like, it would be like if we had to go to Canada to worship. Like, uh, you know, if we kept having to go to Canada, eventually we'd be like, why do I have to go to Canada every year? Why don't I just move here? And so that's the fear. So he fears that the people are going to be led astray by, or politically led astray to the southern kingdom by continuing to worship God at the temple in Jerusalem. So he takes Bethel, and it is, it, you know, he purposely made Bethel his capital because it, it does have such importance in the history of God's people. And 
at that moment, he corrupts the worship of God by creating a, you know, a new house of God in Bethel with a golden image set up to represent um, Yahweh. Um, so I would say, Bill, that's the moment where Bethel, which you know, he, he chooses Bethel as his capital, well, for a lot of reasons, but because of its strong spiritual resonance in the history of the people of God, but he corrupts the worship of God by building a new temple to rival the temple in Jerusalem and creates, you know, a, a temple worship of God that's not the temple worship that God himself commanded. Good. Anything else we want to say about these, this conversation part? I'm looking to see if I wrote anything down about that. Um, no, no. I was when I was reading it, I was thinking the same, um, the same thing. I had the same question, and I, I did not. I don't have an answer for that. Um. I will never again pass by them. The high places shall be made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid to waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Um, I think that would be the way I would take it, and it, I will never pass, again, pass by them. Like, if we take the first two, you know, in verse 3, the Lord relented. In verse 6, the Lord relented. Here, there's, he's not relenting. <laughs> um, he's not going to spare them. So I almost take pass by there as, um, uh, you know, the Lord is patient. Um, um, but the patience has has come to an end, um, and he. Is setting the plumb line negative? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's measuring out. I think it, the plumb line is meeting out judgment, um, yeah. or creating a division. Um, some people, it, the plumb line is actually an interpretation. Um, it, the Hebrew is a little more fluid, <laughs> as my 
Hebrew professor used to say. Um, uh, but both, uh, both images, um, and, and again, our, most translations take it plumb line. The other idea is, is um, a, a tin wall, but both of them, God is making a division, um, and he's, he's dividing, he's measuring out, um, and, 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 and bringing about judgment. And what, again, what makes the third one, he's not going to pass them by, and the judgment is specifically indicated on the high places, the sanctuaries, and the house of Jeroboam. Like, it's, um, it's particularly against the, the leadership of Israel. Um, and that's led the people astray. But as we've seen throughout um, Amos, like, um, the, the northern kingdom doesn't consist of all perpetrators. Like, there are victims in the, the northern kingdom. There are people that these rulers and priests and judges are doing bad things to. So, again, it's not indiscriminate judgment on God's part. God is targeting the people who have done these horrible things against his people. Um, and again, uh, another kind of difference in these last three chapters is the phrase, my people, shows up over and over again. But, you know, like that becomes the phrase that it's God's people um, that, uh, you know, he's, he's judging. The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. Um, so yeah, so I, I do think that helps. Like again, like it's the end has come. <laughs> um, and again, like in in chapter seven, the songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. Um, so this place of ritual worship becomes a place of, of desolation because God is, is not going to tolerate it anymore. All right, let's um, spend some time. I want to give some time to the latter half. So there we see, and um, just for uh, um, uh, one thing to come away with the first half um, is the power of prayer. Um, again, he had simply shown Amos two visions, um, and seeing these visions, Amos begged the Lord to be merciful. Um, and so he elicits from Amos prayers for his people. Amos calls them Jacob to remind God of the promises made to the patriarchs, that these are God's chosen people. Um, and so God is gracious in his sovereign plan to give the prophet a role in Israel's future by allowing them to allowing him to plead for him um, through prayer, God is gracious in his judgment against Israel. Uh, God has ordained prayer as a means that we might desire change and ask God to bring it about. Um, so, uh, if you if you ever want passages that talk about and demonstrate the power of prayer, I think this is a great one. Um, of, of God wanting us to 
have God's concerns for his people and that therefore pray for them, like to feel the, the coming judgment and beg God to, um, to be merciful. Um, to see the world as God sees it means that we should um, be despairing for the world apart from God's mercy. And so we should always be um, going to that throne of grace and praying and pleading for God's mercy on his people. So this is a great um, passage in, you know, Amos responding to what God has shown him in prayer um, and, and God responding to prayer. Uh, so um, good uh, application there. Okay, so chap first half of the chapter, Amos is in God's midst pleading for the people. Second half of the chapter, um, Amos is now in, in, uh, in the midst of the people, um, and they're not happy with him. <laughs> um, so what is Amos accused of? Like, so here we have Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. So again, the, the, the priest of this false house of worship um, um, is accusing uh, Amos before the king. So what is Amos accused of? And why is the accusation ironic? So those are my kind of two questions here. What's he accused of, and, and what's the irony in this accusation? Yeah, so here we've just been seeing how Amos is, is before God, intervening, you know, pleading on their behalf, asking God to be merciful. And then, like, he gets back and, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> Go home. We don't want you. Um, you know, he's conspiring against the people. Um, he's cons so it's the, the irony is, Amos has been pleading on behalf of the people before God, um, but he's accused of, you know, hating the people and is told to go home when, in many ways, it's, it's Amos's prophetic presence in the northern kingdom that is, as we've just seen, has been um, a blessing uh, to them, um, and yet they see it as a curse. Uh, good. What else do we see about uh, this accusation? Uh, yeah, Tim.
Yeah, and notice he's, he's saying these are Amos' words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam must, shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile away from the land. Um, and it's thus says the Lord. Like, and as you say, Amos, this, these aren't Amos's words. These are God's words to God's people. Um, and rather than the people seeing the truth of, of God's word to them, instead, blame the messenger um, and, and hate him for speaking truth and, uh, and pointing out their sinfulness. Um, yeah, they, they don't want to hear what Amos has to say, um, and they don't want to connect what Amos is saying to the word of God. Um, whereas, you know, for thus Amos has said, is what Amaziah um, um, says, um, but the same words, Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land, is how this chapter ends, and, and that's a thus says the Lord. Um, so they're taking Amos's prophecies, and as you say, they're attributing it to some malicious motive on his behalf. Oh, you're just a hater. Um, that, you know, you're not really concerned about sinfulness. Um, you're the one who is, is hating on me um, because you're a bad person. How does Amos, and, and you, know, you know, he's saying, you know, get out of here. Never prophesy at Bethel again, for it's the king's sanctuary and it's a temple of the kingdom. How does Amos respond? So we've got the accusation. Um, he, he's conspiring against the king and the temple. Um, they're attributing the thus says the Lord to his own selfish motives. Um, and how does Amos respond to this accusation? Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, do you think I want to be here? <laughs> Do you think I chose to move up here? <laughs> I was purposely happy tending my sheep, pruning my sycamore trees. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I didn't come here because I wanted to, to come, you know, uh, hate on you. I'm here because God sent me here. Um, I, I didn't come out of choice. <laughs> um, I didn't come out of malicious motives. I came because God sent me here. Um, and I'm only saying to you the things God has told me to say. Tim, you had your, you were going to say something? Yeah, and, and again, the, the irony, you know, Get out of here. Never prophesy here again. And, and what does Amos immediately turn around to do? Prophesy. <laughs> Never prophesy in Bethel again. Where's Amos? He's in Bethel. <laughs> What's he doing uh, in response to this injunction to, to, to be silent is to, to speak the word of God. Uh, now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I, I'm here because God said, go prophesy to my people Israel. 
Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. And again, that last part, it, you know, Amaziah had attributed these words to Amos, and Amos is like, these aren't my words. <laughs> this isn't me plotting against, like, you know, I'm not some southerner who's come up here and is trying to undermine the king's rule and, and you know, politically conspire against them. I'm here because God has sent me, and God has given me this word to speak to to the king and to speak to the people in authority and to speak to the priests of the northern kingdom of Israel. I'm not here because I'm a professional prophet. Um, I'm not somebody who does this for a living or who does this for selfish motives. I'm here because God sent me here. So you've got to hear what God has to say to you and what he has to say is, is, is you deserve horrible judgment because, you know, you, you're not listening to the word of God. Um, it's a great picture of what John says in the gospel. So from John 15, um, uh, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will, keep, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Um, and it's a that picture of, um, by um, Amaziah's words against Amos, he's, he's really showing his heart that it's, you know, he doesn't want to hear the word of God. So it's not, it's not a personal animosity, just personal animosity against Amos. It's a, a response of someone who is a sinner not wanting to be convicted of that sin before a righteous God, and therefore their hatred for the prophet or the messenger or the apostle or whoever has been sent to preach this word to them reflects hearts that are in opposition and enmity against God. Good. What else um, comes out from this? You know, and again, it's as we see these prophecies in the last part of the, the chapter, or the last part of the book, these last three chapters, um, they are really in, intense. Um, and 
the judgment is coming and it's specific and it's inescapable. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the leadership is, is going to be targeted. These high places are going to be destroyed. It's, it is going to have, you know, it's going to affect everybody. Um, but it's, it's particularly directed against, you know, these, the religious and political leadership that has set itself in opposition to the ways of God. Like, the punishment on Jeroboam, again, isn't a political plot. It is spiritual judgment. Um, it's not, oh, I, I'm trying to bring about reuni reunification with Judah to, you know, so I'm going to undermine the northern kingdom. No, it's God has problems with the northern kingdom and how it sets itself, not just a division amongst his people, but how they have separated themselves from God through this catalog of sins that we've seen in, in prior weeks, by the, the injustice that reigns here, by the um, immorality uh, and uh, idolatry of things, and by the false worship that has been created in the northern kingdom on these high places. And, and God is, is angry with them, and he's not going to pass, pass, pass them by. He's not going to, they're his covenant people, but they need to be punished for their sins. Um, that God's judgment is real. His wrath is real. His anger is real. And it's deserving on the part of the people. Um, and Amos knows that, which is why he doesn't stand before God and say, oh God, you know, like, no, you're, you've misunderstood the situation. Like, they've got good intentions, but their actions are bad. Like, um, you know, no, he's not doing that at all. Um, he's saying they are small, they are helpless apart from your continued covenant love and mercy. So uh, look not on them for what they deserve, but look on them for their relationship to you, that they're your people. And again, like that's what Moses, when Moses stands and pleases before God after the golden calf incident, he doesn't say that, oh, the golden calf, like, it, it was, they set it up, and they were trying to worship you through it. Like, so they're trying to, no. He, he, he's saying, don't destroy them for the sake of your name. Um, and, and that's what we see here. Like, this, this um, language of how can Jacob stand, it's that covenant name that, you know, the covenant God made with Jacob. Um, he's hearkening back to God's promises to this people. Um, but this people, as God has promised, deserves judgment, and God's going to bring it about. Um, and he's not going to stand any longer for these sinful practices in Israel's midst. He is going to judge them by sending them into exile and by you know, bringing about calamity on the religious and political leaders of this kingdom.
Good. So um, as we think about this, um, uh, and, and thinking about its applications, so what does this tell us about our, um, or how does this equip us to speak prophetically to the world and culture around us? Yeah, Tim. Yep. And, yeah, and when did Jesus ever say, they're going to roll out the welcome mat for you? Um, no, like, it, again, it's consistent that the prophets were hated. And, and Jesus says, like, just as you hated the prophets, so you hate me. Like, and why are the prophets hated? Why was Jesus hated? Why are the apostles hated? Because they're speaking God's truth to people who don't want to hear it. Um, they're exposing people's sinfulness to people who don't want to be exposed as, as sinners. He's showing people their hearts when they want to think they're good people who need nothing. Yeah, Ronnie. Absolutely. And again, the way these two parts of the chapter, like, um, you know, Amos is pleading on behalf of these people. Like, he's, at, at the same time, he's saying, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile away from this land. Like, he's not backing down from what he said. He's, he's you know, it's God's word. He's doubling down on what he said because he says it again. <laughs> You say it's conspiracy, but he's not doing it from a spirit of, of hatefulness or antipathy or even a position he's judging them. He's doing it from a position of, of seeing the world as God sees it. Um, and when you see the world as God sees it, one, you see your, your own sin and the need for you to be judged apart from the mercy of God. So, like, that life of perpetual humility, knowing that I, I'm only here because of what God has done in me. Like, just as Amos is saying here, I'm only here because God called me to do this. God did something in my life. And so, and he said, go speak, and therefore I speak. It's not I speak because I'm smarter than you, and I've figured this out, and you haven't. Um, I speak because I'm compelled to proclaim the word of God, not because I hate you, but because I love you. Um, and God loves you, and that's why God has sent me to speak to you. Um, so, you know, it, it is relational. And Amos is, is going before God saying, have mercy, forgive. And that, you know, the word that's used forgive is an action only ever attributed to God um, in, in the Old Testament. So it's a word only used of God's forgiving action toward humanity. It's something only God can do. And so Amos 
is going to God and saying, pleading on the people's behalf. At the same time, he's going to the people and saying, listen, this is God's case against you. This is what you deserve. This is what's coming if you don't repent uh, and turn to God. Um, so it's, it's a call to repentance that is expressed in relationship. And again, it's Amos's relationship to God and Amos's relationship to the people. And that, again, to go back to what I started, it's, it can be an uncomfortable position to be the one in the middle. But in a sense, that's what we're called to be. Um, to, to be people facing God and, 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 and making the case for God to be merciful, but to face the people and, and, and show the world what God thinks, um, what God has declared. Yeah, he's in the middle, but he's not neutral. Um, he, he, he sees the world as God sees it. Um, he, he's encountering the world, and he's not backing down from what God has said. And he's not saying, oh, yeah, maybe God is being a little harsh here. No. He, he's, but to do that, as you say, John, he has to be committed to seeing and, and knowing the world as, as God has revealed it to be. So listening to the word of God. Um, and, you know, I, I've made their illusions. None of these prophecies in here are new news. Like, all of this is coming straight out of Deuteronomy. Um, so Amos, you know, he's, he's saying what God has said uh, to an audience that should know and want to hear, but they don't. Um, because they're they're trapped in their sin, and the only way they can be freed from that is is by God doing a work in in them. Um, but God works through us by sending us to speak His truth to a world that often um, doesn't want to hear it. All right. Well, let me uh, close our time in prayer. Lord God. As we see in this chapter, it's uh, not easy to be a prophet. Um, it's not easy to uh, speak your truth to the world, um, to speak your truth to people in positions of power that don't want to hear, um, that uh, instead uh, hate us and um, say it's our word, not your word. But Lord God, um, you have called us and you've given us your spirit to equip us. And so we ask that you would, um, one, help us be humble and uh, see our own, um, uh, that apart from you, that we stand in judgment to see our own um, every daily, every moment need of your gospel and grace, that that's the only reason that we're in this room is because you're doing a work in us. And we pray that you would give us the strength to do your work in the world as you've called us to go and to live and to speak. And we pray um, even now that you would have your spirit with us 
um, as we worship you together. Um, uh, give us uh, great unity and hope in Christ and to see and set his kingdom above uh, the kingdoms of this world to look for the establishment of that kingdom. Um, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, we pray. Amen.